Recent events in politics that have moral implications compel me to speak out. And the sermon will be much longer than you are accustomed to, so if you want to go and grab a smoke, go right ahead. Just when you think two people running for the highest office in our nation could not possibly descend any lower, they managed to surprise you. Have you heard today that Donald Trump insists that he and Hillary Clinton have a drug test before the next debate? Wacky. Now, whatever one's political party or lack thereof, I think we can all agree that our nation has hit at an embarrassing low point. One cannot help but think that the obscene developments we are witnessing, fueled by media hype, serve only to prevent good men and women from dedicating themselves to public life understandably choosing not to expose themselves and their families to the relentless microscopic examination of their lives and our puerile fascination with scandal. Is it any wonder we have the candidates we do? New revelations from email correspondence among Hillary Clinton's staff reveal a disturbing animosity toward faithful evangelical Protestants and a hatred for faithful Catholics. Mrs. Clinton's campaign manager, a Mr. John Podesta, a Catholic, in answer to a query from a Mr. Sandy Newman, who is Jewish, on how to quote, plant the seeds of revolution, close quote, within the Catholic Church, was told by Mr. Podesta that he said, well, well, I have created two organizations with that very idea in mind, and their goals were to undermine the Catholic Church, sabotage the Church, and separate Catholics from their Church while all the time allowing them to think they were still Catholics. Those two organizations are called Catholics in Alliance with a Common Good and Catholics United. What was Mr. Podesta's logic? Clearly, there are politicians who desperately want Catholics to be Catholic in name, but not in faith, thus making it easier to get Catholics to uncritically embrace as Catholic new political and social agendas contrary to scripture, tradition, natural law, and common sense. Mrs. Clinton's communication director, a Ms. Jennifer Palmieri, also a Catholic, has had her emails revealed showing her anti-Catholic venom and her utter disgust or our evangelical Protestant brothers and sisters. Now, since the emails have emerged, Mr. Podesta and Ms. Palmieri have been outed for what they really are, anti-Catholic bigots. And they are indignant. They insist they're Catholic 
And by their logic, you can't be anti-Catholic if you call yourself a Catholic. Of course you can. History is full of such examples of Catholics who hated and tried to destroy the Catholic Church. Napoleon Bonaparte was a Catholic, and he did his best to use both political and military power to bend the church to his will. The name Adolf Hitler ring a bell? He was a Catholic, you know. And look what he did to the church to ensure that there would be no opposition to his social agendas, especially the eradication of people he did not like. And here we have to come to a truth that, sadly, even some of our bishops prefer to ignore. If one calls oneself Catholic, then it stands to reason that the rest of us in the church have the right to assume that person is in communion with the church, especially on critical issues, be they theological or moral. A person who says, well, I'm Catholic, but I don't believe Christ is truly present in the Eucharist, is not a Catholic. Likewise, the one who says, well, I'm Catholic, I support sucking a living baby out of its mother's womb and using it for its stem cells and for medical research, or I'm Catholic and I support giving grandma a shot and ending her life like I would my pet chihuahua, is not a Catholic. Simply saying one is Catholic does not make one so. It is, of course, considered offensive today to point out what the common sense God gives to a doorknob tells us. Curiously, these people insist on staying in the church. But why? The emails I referred to confirm what the church has always understood. It is in the very nature of evil, disguising, disguising itself with warm, fuzzy slogans and the appearance of enlightenment and tolerance to sow seeds of division to destroy truth, so that a purely secular vision of man and its consequent agendas will be embraced without opposition. The goal of evil is always the same, whatever the century. Convince people that what is evil is good, and what is good is evil. Mrs. Clinton must assume responsibility for her staff and fire them. While efforts to undermine our church were clearly the work of the Democratic Party, let us not delude ourselves. It could have just as easily been done by the Republican Party if it calculated that it was in its best interest to do so. But the question is, what motivates such hatred of our church? The need to sabotage it. What motivates the hatred of our evangelical Protestant brothers and sisters? Fear. And what are the cultural elites, the intellectuals, the politicians of both parties afraid of? The fear of an awakening of 
the moral conscience enlightened by faith in Jesus Christ and the social consequences of a Judeo-Christian vision of man. That the dignity of the human person comes not from the state, but from being created in the love and image of God. That man's dignity is not under the control of the state, but that the state exists to create the conditions that will allow that dignity to emerge and flourish. That a person's dignity extends from the moment of conception to the moment of death. And it is the duty of the state to defend that dignity. Not define it, not control it, not destroy it. The elites, the intellectuals, the politicians of both parties fear the implications that come from the principle that Christians are called to be good citizens of our nation, which means we are to bring our faith into all levels of national life. Now, the founders of our nation had no such fears. They correctly perceived that people bringing their faith into the public life of the nation was essential for a republic to function, since a republic must rely on a citizenry that is disciplined, takes personal responsibility, is self-governing, exercises charity, and abides by a shared set of ethics all of which are the fruits of religion, which no purely secular state can, can create. If every Christian in our nation, whatever the church, permitted himself or herself to wake up to what God calls each of us to be, what a gift life is, that he desires our intimacy with him, and empowers us to see every human being as a gift, then our political leaders who put party loyalty over the welfare of the nation, our legislators and judges who use their power to assert their own social agendas over what is best for the common good of the nation, this group, or if I may borrow the expression, this basket of deplorables, would not long survive. And the intellectuals in both parties understand this. But let us confront an unpleasant truth. We have the political and social chaos we do because we, the people, have chosen for a long time now not to pay attention to the weighty issues of state. But contrary to the intention of the framers of our Constitution, we've entrusted these matters to professional career politicians who assure us they know better than we do what is in our best interests. We, the people, have allowed ourselves to forget that the greatness of America has always relied on its citizens employing the principles of religious faith, however imperfectly. Understanding that freedom is an inherent right 
of one made in the love and image of God, and it is not a gift that is bestowed upon us by a state, nor can it be taken away from us by a state. The signers of the Declaration of Independence, deists, possible agnostics, Protestants, and a Catholic, knew this truth, and we have forgotten it. We, the people, have allowed ourselves to be so bludgeoned by political correctness. We're afraid to speak the truth for fear of committing what has become now the unforgivable sin that someone might be offended. And so we, the people, have allowed ourselves to be bullied into silence. All evil desires is our silence, at least in the beginning of a nation's decline. And we are in a state of decline. The recent manipulative, pathetic, embarrassing displays by political drama queens are the consequences of our allowing this basket of deplorables from both parties to squabble for years about who is to steer the ship while all the while the ship is being tossed about, with each party blaming the other why nothing gets done. Our politicians, however, are reflections of us, reflections of our laziness, our tolerance of corruption as the new normal, our separating faith from action in the public life of the state, our washing our hands like Pontius Pilate, as if we bear no responsibility for what goes on around us, our sense of entitlement and what government should do for us, our disengagement from politics as concern for the common good and instead focusing on a select few. And most dangerous of all, our swallowing the sacred lie of the elitists that we must never bring the principles of our faith in Jesus Christ into the public life of the nation which many of us have obeyed, thinking they will leave us alone. They will not. A wolf is never full. How do Christians and all people of religious faith in our country turn this around? Jesus tells us in today's gospel he tells a story about a widow, the most defenseless person in the society of his day, seeking justice from a corrupt judge who has neither fear of God nor respect for human beings. But the widow was persistent because she was seeking what was true, what was just, what was noble, what was good. The judge says Jesus caved in. Why? He could no longer withstand the relentless barrage of truth, justice, nobility, and goodness against him, even from a widow. 
It is that kind of perseverance for truth, justice, nobility, and goodness that Christians must engage in at every level of national life. This, of course, will require each of us to make a fearless moral inventory of our own lives. Repent for those times we have shown a lack of faith and accept the graces to roll up our sleeves and persevere in taking back our nation. The current political system will oppose us at every level with all kinds of power at its disposal. Yet Jesus tells us to never give in to weariness. The ball is now in our court. How are we going to play it? God protect the United States of America.